1: Welcome to the Third Coast Podcast. I'm Katie Mingle. You'll hear our weekly radio show, V-Sound, here, as well as the occasional story curated recently from our audio library at thirdcoastfestival.org. The Third Coast Festival is a nonprofit organization whose livelihood depends in part on support from listeners like you. To find out how you can help or to check out all of the cool stuff we do apart from our radio show, visit our website, thirdcoastfestival.org. Thanks, and enjoy the podcast.
3: Showtime. Showtime.
0: Showtime. From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is Resound.
4: You
3: want to close your eyes a little? A little, yeah, but I won't go anywhere. I'll right here, okay?
0: Okay. Let me take your glasses. <laughs> ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sounds, sound bites, and other audio tidbits we find all over the world. On the internet, on the airwaves, we listen to everything we can get our ears on and bring you the best of what we hear each week on ReSound.
2: If you don't take a chance, you know, life will be boring. You'll be safe life will be boring.
0: My dad has always provided great fodder in my career as a documenter of pet peeves, personal problems, and unusual personalities. Probably because he has all of the above. That would be him snoring. And this would be him laughing. You get the picture. He is a treasure trove of idiosyncrasies that I love to exploit. Fortunately, he doesn't mind. In fact, he loves the attention. Now, I don't know if that says something good about our relationship or something bad about my sadistic tendencies and his masochistic ones. But no matter how you slice it, your dad is always your dad. In sickness and in health, till death do you part. Today on ReSound, dads in all their glory. Stay tuned. (music) Kelly McCarthy's dad always loomed larger than life. He did things, fixed things, and saved people. He seemed completely immune to trouble until the day that trouble found him. Here's Kelly's story, Flanking on the Far Day.
5: Harley-Davidson is a big, powerful machine, but despite its burly appearance, at the very heart of a Harley lies an essential vulnerability. The sound we all recognize, what my dad describes as the potato, 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 comes from the pistons. The pistons fire at almost the same time, potato, 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 creating a vast amount of torque that feels like a giant pushing against your chest as you accelerate. A few months ago, my dad felt like a giant was pushing against his chest and he wasn't riding his Harley. He was having a heart attack. My dad is a big, powerful guy. He takes care of his things, especially his Harley. Each spring, he goes through a ritual of getting his winterized bike ready for the first ride of spring. After his heart attack this year, his recovery was focused on one thing, getting back on his bike for the summer rides. For us, the thump-thump, 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 has become as important as the potato, potato, potato. All right, so what do we have to do?
2: Well, uh, first we're going to get the keys, uh, get in the garage and back the bike out and get it ready uh, to be washed to take the dust off it, some of the grime that's settled on it over the winter. It's bloody cold today. (laughs) But you have to start sometime. We're ready to roll it out. Make sure nothing's in its way. And the garage door is up. I'm excited. (laughs) Out into the sunshine, the light of day, for the first time in months. Now I have to go and get the hot water.
5: When I was growing up, my dad always had a motorcycle, and it was one of the sort of highlights of my elementary school career to have um, my dad drop me off in the mornings. I would walk into the schoolyard feeling like an absolute million bucks. I think he was quite strategic. He knew that if you were having a hard time at school or, you know, some kid was picking on you, he would drive me to school. I became really cool when he would drive me to school.
2: (laughs) Now down here, you can see I've changed, see this nice braided line I put on here? Yeah. I did that over the winter. Every Harley has uh, little bits different from the one to the next. They call it actually rolling art because uh, everybody changes little pieces here and there on their own bike and uh, makes it personal.
5: I rode motorcycles as a little kid um, and I would often get um, my brother's cast-offs, his old motorcycles. My dad and my brother would patch them together and I would trundle along I remember some spectacular wipeouts. It never really was a great love of mine. I just wanted to do it to be with them and to sort of, you know, share in, in what they were doing, desperate to play with them, I guess.
2: So I've been performing this ritual with this bike since 2000. figure that's only appropriate, waiting 50 years to get your first Harley.
5: So you didn't really have motorcycles growing up?
2: No, no. Um, when I was 16, I wanted one, but... Uh my mother, in her infinite wisdom, decided that they weren't safe. And uh, my dad scared himself overseas during the war riding a motorcycle, so that sort of killed it. And then I got married when I was 21 years old to raise my family, and my wife decided I wasn't having a motorcycle. So that finished it until I was 35, and. And I was 35. I decided I was having a motorcycle, so I went out and bought myself a, a Yamaha and uh, rode it for several years until my son turned 16, and then I didn't want I didn't want him taking a big, huge Yamaha out, so I let the license plate expire on it. And...
5: I think that was a really hard period in my dad's life, and who knows that may have gone on forever. He may have never had another motorcycle if it wasn't for a $5 raffle ticket that he bought at an Ottawa Senators hockey game.
2: Well, this is the Ottawa Senators um, bike. They had a raffle in the year 2000 during the hockey season where every game they sold tickets and uh, they drew my name and I won it. Um, well, I went into the dithers, into the blah 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 blah. I was pretty excited. On Tuesday, I brought some flowers home to uh, my wife of 34 years, Marianne, and said, listen, uh, uh, the Harley wants to be your friend. And then at Center Ice with my mom and dad sitting in the first six rows, they rolled out the red carpet and the both of us went out to Center Ice and they presented me with the keys to the fat boy. Yahoo, it doesn't get any better than that. 18,500 people watching, <laughs> picked me and they did. <laughs> And here we are washing the bike in the springtime when it's six
0: degrees.
2: (laughs) I'd never won anything in my life. Now I can't say that anymore because I have won something. So it's really uh, quite a beautiful bike.
5: What was uh, mom's reaction when you won the bike?
2: Um, Well, she was going to let me sell it to buy a brand new pickup truck and uh, I didn't think that was a good idea. Any more questions?
5: (laughs) Uh, My dad is a firefighter. Um, Being a firefighter sort of describes all sorts of aspects of his personality. Um, He's definitely the go-to guy. You know, my car is broken, my basement is flooded, my life is in a mess. No problem, he'll help you sort it out.
2: You want to keep lots of suds so that none of the uh, dust or the dirt scratches.
5: When I got the phone call about my dad's heart attack, that was maybe the first time in my life I really felt fear. It was really, that really shook up my world. He's the anchor. He's the, he's the person that sort of gave me the confidence to go out into the world and do anything. So there was a little bit of anxiety when we were getting the bike ready to go because I know my dad's not invincible now. He still is sort of invincible, but my dad's heart attack made me realize that um, I have some responsibility to look after him as well.
2: It can become scratched, and uh, there aren't a lot of dirty Harleys out there. Because
5: my dad uh, was a firefighter, he had sort of um, a different schedule, I guess, than everybody else, and so we had this great tradition in our family um, of doing something called flanking on the far day which basically means you're going adventuring. And um, if you asked on the way where you were going, he would say, crazy, want to come?
2: You do get caught in the rain once in a while.
5: God, the things that we did. Like I, I remember helping some you know, long-lost friend bale hay for his sheep farm, and that was one of our Flanking on the Far Day um, adventures.
2: Flanking on the Far Day <laughs> comes from my mother. She had all of these sayings that made absolutely no sense.
5: (laughs) When I said I thought this matched your personality, it's uh, because you definitely have wanderlust.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Wanderlust. If you don't take a chance, you know, life will be boring. You'll be safe, but life will be boring. I thought I took reasonably good care of myself. I had a heart attack, you know, so lifestyle change. And actually, over the winter, I thought, well, you know, some year, I'm not going to be doing this. And I like this a lot, you know, so this year I can, so I'm doing it. (laughs) Since I won this one, I've been all over North America, all over the place. Newfoundland, Key West, Florida, Sturgis, South Dakota, PEI a couple of times. Go to the rallies, Laconia, Bike Week, Bike Toberfest, maybe Myrtle Beach this year. So we're getting pretty close to uh, the final maintenance items. We're going to go and have a look at the tire pressures and the spark plugs and that kind of stuff.
5: Should we sit down and take a break? You want to? Well, do you want to? No.
2: <laughs> not now. Just had a break not too long ago new lifestyle, working out this morning at the Herd Institute, which is going to provide me a nice uh, parking spot for this.
5: The birds are coming out to cheer you on.
2: Yeah, that's those little chickadees. First one's back.
5: So should we do a moment of silence or 10 seconds of silence before we get the bike going?
2: No, no, let's go for it. So first you turn the ignition on and uh, we'll pull the choke right out because it's really cold. It's in neutral by the light, but we'll pull the clutch in just in case and we'll give her a fire. See how it goes. (laughs) Potato, potato. Pulsing of the uh, engine is very much like a heart rate. The faster it pulses, the faster you go. Same as running or walking or, although I don't think we go as fast as an engine goes.
5: So how do you feel listening to it, seeing it run for the first time?
2: Ah, it's exciting. Isn't your heart just Pattern. Let's go. So I'm just going to go around and make sure the brakes and everything are working.
5: So he's just running the bike up and down the street to make sure that everything's working, like the brakes and the lights and everything is going as it should. And of course the grin is there. That giant, full-face grin. And he goes by on the street again. Still pretending to be checking the brakes. And he's turning around at the end of the street. And I'm sure he's going to go zooming by me again. like a kid, so happy to be on his motorcycle. I have just wanted to take a minute and think of how lucky I am to be doing this with my dad today. Um, his heart attack, you know, could have meant a whole new reality. We could still be recovering, he could have had a more invasive surgery, or he could have been dead. So this day means a lot to me and I keep... You know, we're fixing the bike and we're playing around and doing all sorts of stuff. But in the back of my mind, I'm just so glad that he's here and he's healthy and he's doing something that he loves. And he stopped for me, so I think I get on now. Yeah. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Flanking
0: on the far day was produced by Kent Hoffman and presented by Kelly McCarthy. Potato, potato, potato. Reporter and author Adrienne Nicole LeBlanc was named after her father, Adrienne Leon LeBlanc, And their name is only one of the many deeply loving bonds they share. When Adrian Leon was diagnosed with end-stage lung cancer, Adrian Nicole dealt with her impending loss by documenting the last months of his life. Here is The Ground We Lived On.
3: Showtime. Showtime. Showtime.
4: I love your voice.
3: Can you understand it? Yeah. How come you hear it? Say something. How are you this evening?
4: Can you hear yourself? Absolutely. Adrian Leon LeBlanc, my dad and my namesake. His keen joy in observing people in the world is the reason I became a journalist.
3: I'm laying here while the reporter is establishing contact with the patient.
4: My father was born on June 28, 1917. He was a traveler, a knight of the open road as he called it hopping trains during the Depression, shipping off to Italy during World War II, and for most of my childhood, canvassing factories as a union organizer. Cancer was a journey that blindsided him.
3: I'm not sure what trip we're on.
4: So what trip are we on?
3: I don't know. We're on a trip of exploration into the feelings of a... I don't know what you'd call me. I'm in my 80s, and it's an exploration of my physical condition, which is... Very serious, about which we have no definitive answer, and I think only time will resolve it.
4: My father's propped up in a hospital bed in the living room of the house he built with his own hands. He's tucked in beneath a comforter. His body's so slight, he barely makes a lump under the down.
3: I wonder what the hell I weigh.
4: I'd say you're pretty skinny.
3: Yeah, I would say 100 pounds maybe.
4: Yeah. Now, what was your average weight?
3: My average weight was around 160,
4: 160, 163. Yeah. You want to close your eyes a little? A little, yeah.
3: But I won't go anywhere. I'll stay right, right here, okay?
4: Okay. Let me take your glasses. <laughs> I love you very much.
3: I Love you very much. You can just
4: bang the spoon if you need me.
3: I sure will. Hi, sweetie. Morning, Mom. Morning, Nathan. Morning, hon.
4: My mom, Eve, and my dad have been married for 50 years. He made her coffee every morning until he was too weak to stand.
3: I love you. love you have you good sleep, huh? I did. Why don't you make yourself a coffee or something? I will, quite a morning.
4: Yeah. It's February. My father's been bedridden in the living room for a month now. It's always been his favorite place in the house. Before he got sick, he'd sit here in his armchair every day. He liked to read the newspaper or stare out the picture window. He'd wave us over to share whatever he was seeing—blue jays, squirrels, the color of the maple leaves. Now his hospital bed is positioned where his armchair once sat. It looked a little squished up to me. I moved. around a little. Do you want to try to get your butt up a little? Are you okay? This is good. My father is the center of our attention. My mom puts all her energy into his creature comforts—ironing his sheets and pajamas, finding food that he can eat and the spaces between they visit.
3: I was looking at all those pictures last night and mm. I thought our
4: children had a pretty nice childhood. Yeah, yeah, a you... you happy a
3: lot of happy times. We did have a lot of happy times.
4: We had busy times. Yeah. The house feels yeah. a lot like it did in my childhood, though now it's my father. We're feeding, bathing, tucking in. But he's still my dad in every way he can be. He agrees to do leg exercises he knows are useless because I can't accept that i will never walk again. Then ready? One,
3: One, two. two.
4: Good, and let it down. I'll do
3: one more.
4: Yeah? Okay. One. One, And bend it up. Okay. Great, great. One of my dad's few remaining pleasures is having his hair washed. Don't be
3: afraid to use your famous scrub.
4: We rig a makeshift drain and use buckets of water to shampoo it in his bed.
3: Is the water running into the buckets or whatever it is? Yeah, it's running
4: where it's supposed to.
3: Good. Oh. Mm Okay. What is that noise? The water d- <laughs> <laughs>
4: That's the water drain. <laughs> draining, yeah, yeah. safely away from your bed. No. Close your eyes, Daddy. this one's going to spill in your eyes a little bit. Yeah. There. Okay. So what I'm going to do, Daddy, now is mm. I just want to put your shirt on so you don't get a chill.
3: Okay.
4: I need to be near my father constantly. There are moments that caring for him feels spiritual. He's wasting away, but I experience an almost religious reverence at the sight of his flesh. For the first time ever, I want to have a child. Mm -hmm. A desire that I'm sure comes from wanting, literally, to hold on to the life in him.
3: Here we go again, talking. And I'm recorded, I think, I hope I am, by my daughter. Oh, I get my teeth out and everything. And I talk about miscombulated. Or whatever the
4: goddamn dis, word. Discombobulated.
3: Discombobulated. Can you
4: spell it? That's what you'd make dis- me do as a child. Dis, My father delighted in language. His only rule with us as kids was if we didn't know the meaning of a word, we had to look it up.
3: I wonder what it is when I, I'm i so intrigued with words. Oh, well. You
4: always love words. Hmm. You- My dad taught me that language was a powerful tool. He wished he'd gone to college because he felt it would have made him a better communicator and able to do more good in the world. He was a gentleman, but he could be fierce whenever he saw anyone mistreated. Certain things always stirred his anger. Shopping malls open on Sundays when laborers needed rest. The memory of his mother, who was a tailor, sewing at their kitchen table late into the night. Workers were his people, and he devoted his life to making their lives better. I hope, I hope when I'm an old woman, if I'm lucky enough to get to be an old woman, yeah. I hope I will have brought joy to people's lives like you did.
3: Oh, you already
4: have. But I mean, like, you also fought for people, Daddy.
3: I was one of many.
4: I know. You're the one I love the most.
3: I'm the one that you knew the most,
4: yeah? You're the one I knew the most, and you're the one I love the most.
3: You love the most and knew the most.
4: Yeah, love the most first. Yeah. (laughs) You're so funny. You're so funny. Sweet dreams. I love you. I love you, too. Signing off. Any chance I got I spoke about my father... My pending loss gave rise to new friendships, as some of the older ones gave way. Grief scares people, and my pain was so raw, I think it was difficult for some of my friends to tolerate. I connected best to others who were wounded, many of them strangers. Serious loss brings you into one of the world's silent fraternities. Have I been sleeping? You've been sleeping about eight hours. You woke up a few times. It's March now. My father's sleeping more. He needs more morphine. My mother's attempts to get him to eat subside. The house feels heavy. We slowed down. Is your mother sleeping? She's dead to the world. She was very sad today. Mm-hmm. I think she's going to miss you. Yeah. Must be scary, I would think. All those years you get so used to being with someone.
3: Or calling somebody for something. Or sharing.
4: And cuddling with someone. Sure. It's becoming harder to record, but my father encourages me. Our voice is the ground we've lived on, so we keep talking, even about his leaving me <sighs> daddy, is your um your chest hurting when I'm hugging you?
3: No, no, no.
4: it feels so sad. <laughs> I feel like so many changes mm-hmm. are happening yeah, they're just changing, and I can't. Change it from changing.
3: Some things you can't change. Yet.
4: I'm gonna be fine, though. You know that. Yeah. I'm very, very strong.
3: I know you are, honey.
4: I just feel like you're my um, you're like my soulmate. You
3: know. Mm-hmm. We just love each other.
4: <sighs> Some comfort I am. Clinging to a sick man in a hospital bed, crying on his skinny chest. <laughs> oh, no, we're silly,
3: I silly. And you're recording it all besides.
4: <laughs> Illness transforms the things you most fear into the things you crave and would hold on to if you could. Like my father moving to the living room, no one in my family wanted to replace his armchair with the hospital bed, and now no one wants the hospital bed to go. You could go to sleep. I'll watch you go to sleep. No. I'm just going to close my eyes. Can you do that. Go ahead. I'm mm. just going to sit with you quietly.
3: Mm-hmm. You don't have to be quiet.
4: A week passes. He has only the strength to speak in whispers. I absorb every word. Have you been open my leg? You want to move your legs?
3: Yeah. I've
4: been open. You've always been moving your legs, Daddy. You've, you've walked a lot of miles. Oh. You walked miles, remember you hopped trains? What? Oh, from when you were a young man. You wanna see your legs? Yeah. Okay. They're very skinny. Yeah. Look, can you see them? Okay. Where's my teeth? Your teeth are in the bathroom. Your legs are attached to your hobbledy hips. Where are you? Front room, that's right. You are kind. You it's were. easy to be kind to you.
3: You are gentle. Gentle. Gentle looking.
4: You look so beautiful, daddy. You are gentle.: In his last days, I sit for hours on the rug by his bed and listen to him breathe. My mother sits on a chair by his side, and we try to do what for me will never be complete. We say goodbye to my dad. Daddy. It's Adrian Nicole. It's a pretty name, Adrian Nicole,
3: isn't it? And I insisted it be spelled the way your name is spelled A D R I A N, because I loved you. Are you in pain?
4: Daddy, it's getting, the sun is setting, and the trees look so beautiful in the backyard. The little red house that you helped build me, that I used to play in. Yep. I love, and I love you. I love you. I'm holding your hand, okay? You're such a good man, Daddy. Such a good man. You can let go. And did you work? All done. My father, Adrian Leon the Blank, died in his living room on March twenty-first, two thousand and three.
0: That was the ground we lived on. Produced by Adrian Nicola Blank and Sarah Kramer for Sound Portraits Productions. For more information about Adrian and her work, including her astonishing book Random Family, visit thirdcoastfestival.org. And while you're there, you can sign up for our email updates to keep up with the latest from the Third Coast Festival. Or give us a shout. Questions, comments, rants, and raves can be sent to Resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Of course, you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter.
5: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
3: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
0: They say you can't choose your parents. They, whoever they are, would be right, of course. But if I could, I would definitely choose a dad who was a little less, well, hairy. Because then maybe I would be less hairy, too. But instead of suffering silently, I decided to suffer publicly in an essay I produced for Morning Edition in 1994. There's nothing a girl hates more than finding a chin hair. Now, I'm not talking about that baby fine peach fuzz that carpets your body like velvety moss. I'm talking about those thick, black, wire-like hairs, spiky hairs that poke through your skin like a thorny cactus in smooth desert sand. Poke, poke, poke! This is the legacy I inherit from my father, an overabundance of unwanted body hair. Uh, got it! It's his Eastern European heritage. There, it's not so unwanted. Here, it's just considered indelicate to walk around looking like a human chia pet. Of course, if you fall victim to societal dictum, you can spend a lot of time and money shaving here, bleaching there, tweezing this and waxing that. Hair is relentless, brutal in the way it sprouts up where it's not wanted. Shave your legs, and sure, they look good for a couple of hours. Then comes the five o'clock shadow, then comes the sandpaper, then comes the old-growth forest. I don't get these women with no body hair. The only place I have no hair is my eyeballs. Oh, I never shave. It's so thin and fair. You barely notice it. Their hair isn't thick or sharp. Is that fair? Run a potato against my unshaven legs and it slices, dices, makes julian fries. Men, of course, can be just as hairy as they want to be. your hair fountains spring from their ears and cascade from their nose. Their eyebrows could form a hairy equator around their head, and no one would say a word. They've never had bikini burn, they don't know Jolene from Eileen. I ask you, just how many men even know the meaning of the word depilatory?
1: You mean dilatory.
2: Debilitated. No, no, depository. Dilapidated?
0: They have no clue. In bathrooms all over the country, roommates, sisters, mothers, girlfriends, and wives are locking the door, hunting for hair, going in for the kill, and emerging victorious, smooth as a bowling ball. Now, I know that in the big scheme of things, it's really neither here nor there. But I can't help but wonder, why me? I decided to go right to the source. My father. I have a question for you. Yeah. Why are we so hairy?
2: You are what?
0: Why are we so hairy?
2: You are not. You are, maybe.
0: Subtlety has never been my father's strong suit.
2: You have black hair. That's also very dark. That does not help. But uh, I am not that particularly hairy, am I? Mm mm. A little bit on my chest. Um, you are just an aberration. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, there you have it. An aberration. That's me, little old Abby. Thank God for radio. Oh, and Dad, happy Father's Day. And thanks for nothing. That was Vanity Hair. And in my 27 years of producing stories and essays on public radio, this is the essay that got the most feedback. Chin hair. Now, to be honest, these days, thanks to Groupon and laser hair removal, things have definitely improved. But that's a whole nother show. (laughs) ReSound is a production of the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxai. The program is produced by Katie Mingle and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. ReSound's intern is Lily Bowie. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear hundreds of outstanding documentaries from around the world. And subscribe to our podcast. Support for ReSound comes from Dojo, a full-service digital agency. On the web at dojo.com. Dojo, we fuel ideas that grow. The Third Coast Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Treehouse Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Boeing Company Charitable Trust, the Agudino Foundation, and the Menaki Foundation. This program is partially supported by a grant from the Illinois Arts Council, a state agency. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. The Third Coast Festival was founded in 2000 by WBEZ Chicago. If you want to. Contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Resound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.
1: You've been listening to the Third Coast Podcast. Stay connected with us through Facebook and Twitter, or by signing up for our email list at thirdcoastfestival.org. If you like what you heard today, consider writing us a review on iTunes or sending us a few bucks. As always, thanks for listening.